Hey guys, this is Stowe Bishop with Radio Rothbard, and I wanted to let you know about an exciting event we have coming up on September 23rd in Nashville, Tennessee. One of Ron Paul's favorite lines was, truth is treason and the empire of lies. Americans around the country are waking up to this reality, war across the globe, regulating free speech at home, printing trillions of dollars. The regime accepts no limits to its power. Speaking on this topic, we all have brave truth tellers, including Ted Carpenter, Michael Rechtenwald, Jonathan Newman, and many more. Again, this is on September 23rd in beautiful Nashville, Tennessee. You can find more about this event and get your tickets at Mises.org slash Nashville 23. Hey everyone, welcome back to Radio Rothbard. This is Tho Bishop, joined as always by my co-host Ryan McMakin. We've got a special guest with us today. We have Econ Bro, who is the founder of Nigerian Liberty, um, which is doing great work, uh, educational work in Nigeria, promoting Austrian economics, uh, publications of the Mises Institute, um, seminars with students. And uh, we're gonna discuss a little bit about um, spreading the ideas of Austrian economics in uh, his country on the prospects for, for Africa broadly. And um, very excited to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us. Um, thank you for having me. I'm also very pleased to be here. So um, you have already had uh, live events going on in Nigeria about Austrian economics. And you gave some great talks about um, specific economic issues in your country. Um, also touching yes. on one of Ryan and my favorite topics, which is the, the cultural consequences of inflation in this monetary policy event. Yes. So I guess starting off with how did yes. the ideas of Austrian economics get to Nigeria? What was your exposure to the Mises Institute and what made you want to take up this cause and to try to spread these ideas to a new generation of Nigerians? Um, so I won't say the ideas of Austrian economics have got into Nigeria yet. I would say I'm, as far as I know, I'm the only one um, doing this here. So I can only talk about how I got into Austrian economics. So maybe in the future, someone would tell the story and say they heard about it from me. But um, for now, I don't know of anyone else. I have a couple of friends who are into it as well, but um, I don't know of any major Austrian, no Austrian movement. I don't know of any at all. Um, whatsoever. So um, let me speak to how I became um, aware of Austrian economics. Basically, I was a conservative. Um, you know, I I I, I followed um, Thomas Sowell, Milton, the works of Thomas Sowell, Milton Friedman, F. A. Hayek. Um, so after my studies at the university, I, I studied economics at university, and the things I studied really didn't make any sense to me. They didn't add up, and. I don't have to explain to people that Nigeria is a poor country and we keep having um, um, minister after minister, central bank governor after central bank governor. So our central bank governor is what you guys would call the um, chairman of the Fed. We call her as a governor of our central bank. So um, so we have them. Yeah, um, Every four years, we have new governors and new ministers, and nothing ever happens, right? So I set out to find out um, actual solutions to the economic problems in my country. That was um, so. In, in my study, I came across uh, Milton Friedman, um, Thomas Sowell, um, as, as as I said, F. A. Hayek, 
Um, but I didn't really know anything about Mises or I I, I had heard of Mises in school. We were um, he was mentioned like some fringe crazy dude when and we were taught the history of economic thought. I had never heard of Rothbard. So, but I was I was very very familiar with how markets work because, as I said, Thomas Sowell and Milton Friedman, F. A. Hayek. So, um, last year was actually when I made the transition from, um monetarist economist from conservative to an austro-libertarian which is what i call myself now last year was when i made the transition um i was watching a podcast um, um patrick bed david podcast it had larry sharp um um larry sharp spike cohen and dave smith so three of them were talking and i said let me give the libertarians a chance because i have a couple of libertarian friends here in nigeria a handful of them that um, i used to go back and forth with we used to argue on issues um but i i i didn't find any of the arguments convincing so i just thought these libertarians are not serious people and whenever i would um, encounter libertarians online it's usually the them people from groups like reason magazine and they just weren't my style so i just felt all libertarians were that way so it was um last year while listening to dave Dave Smith, um, Spike Cohen, and Larry Sharp on the PBD podcast. Um, all their arguments were making so much sense to me. You know, I, I was like, if these guys are libertarian, then I'm a libertarian. I like what they're saying. And um, Patrick Bedavid, the host, asked Dave Dave Smith a question, saying, um, "What do you libertarians have? What what problem do you, you libertarians have with someone like a Milton Friedman?" And I was waiting to hear. I was eager to um, hear what Dave Smith would say. To that and then he said we don't actually have um many problems with and i'm paraphrasing of course he said we don't have many problems with um milton with milton friedman but he said i'm more of a rothbardian you know and i had no idea what that meant so i looked up rothbardian and then i found rothbard and um i i wasn't a fan at first i, I really wasn't a fan at first and then um so, so I, I, I started to because of following Dave Smith and a couple of other people, I, I came across many other people. By the way, I, I, I was familiar with the works of the Mises Institute. I used to watch videos um, from maybe like two thousand and nine, two thousand and eight. You know, but it was just it wasn't something I paid particular attention to. I would just watch maybe some lecture from some, maybe Tom Woods or someone, but I never took, it wasn't a thing for me. So anyway, I started to follow other, um, should I say libertarians on Twitter. And one day I was discussing with a lady called Hannah Cox. Um, I was, I tweeted at her, then I asked her, what would she recommend to new libertarians? And then she recommended Bastiat's um, The Law and Economics in One Lesson by Henry Hazlitt. And just like that, I I, um, I listened to, um, I, I I was done with Bastiat in like, I, 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 it didn't take me up to a day to be um, done with the law. And then I read um, Economics in One Lesson. I actually, I listened to Economics in One Lesson and I was hooked instantly. And in the introduction um, to the book, I heard um, the Henry Hazlitt, um, he attributed the, the research in the book to the works of Mises. And I was like, oh, okay, this Mises guy is, um, must be really special. So I looked him up and then um, came across his books. And then from there, I, I found out Rothbard was a student of Mises. So then I decided to take Rothbard serious. And it was pretty much the best 
um, thing that has happened to me um, apart from my Christian faith in my life, you know, um, discovering Mises and Rothbard. And since then, I've just been consuming um, Mises, Rothbard, Joe Salerno, um, Tom, um, Tom Woods, you know, Robert Murphy, Perp Island. So I've read pretty much everything there is at this point. Not everything, but I've read most of the good. So I've read, I, I'm reading Hopper, you know. So um, yeah, that's how I got into um, um, Austro-Libertarianism. And I found the argument extremely convincing. So um, I, so yeah, then I decided to do something about it. So the first step um, I took was I tried to, because we had um, our elections in May, presidential and gubernatorial and central elections in May. So I tried to, I, I opened a Twitter account to try to reach out to um, people. And then I tried to reach out to presidential candidates. I went to their campaign offices and because of issues I won't go into here, um, no one really listened to what I had to say. You know, they, they all admitted, young man, you're very intelligent. What you're saying makes a lot of sense. Obviously it does, but nobody was willing to, um, I won't go into that. Maybe if, if we ever meet face to face, I'll tell you what happened um, why they, and why um, the excuse they gave me when they shut me down. So um, I, I decided rather than um, try to reach politicians, I'll take, should I say, take the message to the people myself. That was what I decided I was going to do. And then um, I got support from a couple of friends over there in the West, a couple of friends here, um, some of my savings. And I decided to host um, my first seminar where, um, and you know, the rest is, um, recent history, I would say. So I started to teach this stuff to, and give out books to students here. So yeah, that's pretty much the story. Now that that, that rings very, very true. I mean, it's very exciting to see someone want to take up the cause and this and kind of evangel evangelizing um, exactly. your proper economics, particularly in, in the world we have yeah. right now. Your your story reminds me a lot of a lot of my own. I was a, I was a an Ayn Rand fan to, to start off yeah. with. And then once I, I discovered uh, economics in one lesson and Bastiat, and that, that creates that sort of rabbit hole where all of a sudden you, you go down. Um, I, I think it was uh, Rothbard's uh, history of economic thought that really just sort of yeah. blew in my mind and also the different directions, the history of these yeah. ideas and and seeing the impact uh, on civilization. Um, you know, it, it's, it's fascinating how once, once the light bulb comes on, um, you know, you, you have that excitement, you have that access to this important knowledge and yes. trying to 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 bring about others to to understand these things that are so important. Um, so very excited for the energy and and again not only just talking about it online through Twitter, um, but but trying to bring people together to talk about these ideas is, is, is very exciting. It it really is it really is. And so can we talk a little bit about you know and I, I know with your Substack out there you have written a, a, a few articles already trying to understand, um, trying to explain some of the problems that um, Nigeria has. And I know one topic you've written a few articles on is the uh, kind of the political consequences in the response to removing fuel subsidies yes. um, that the recent yes. government has done. And yeah. obviously fuel subsidies are a bad form of intervention, um, yes. but they're, they're popular, right? People like cheaper things. Yeah, and yet the response to that politically, then after the the good thing of removing the fuel subsidies, has created attempts to create other more popular programs out there. So, can you talk a little bit about this dynamic on how um, within the Nigerian political environment, um, you know, one good policy is kind of creating other bad policies, and kind of explain for some of our listeners 
you know, what, what, you know, some of this dynamic going on in, in Nigeria. Okay, sure. Um, so we've had fuel subsidies um, since I was born. We've never had a time in Nigeria where, um, when fuel was not subsidized, um, I believe you guys call it gasoline over there. We call it petrol here. So I'll just call it fuel. Let me just do that. So we've never had a time in um, since I was born where we didn't have fuel subsidized. And um, they spend, the government spends literally billions of US dollars every year subsidizing fuel. And um, every president um, campaigns saying, I'm going to take away the subsidies. The subsidies are a burden on the economy. And then no one ever does it when they get into office. And by the way, there is a very big scam, or there, should I say there was a very big scam. It's not, it's, it's, it's not a secret here um, with the subsidy payment. So when people, when, when marketers buy the fuel from, so we, we obviously Nigeria is one of the, um, top oil producing countries in the world. We used to be like top 10 at some point. I don't know what um, number we're at now, but um, we produce a lot of oil here. That's pretty much all we produce. But um, we, 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 have to, we don't have refineries here. So we have to import um, um, refined products, which is just pathetic, very, very pathetic. Um, we have to import refined products here, um, gasoline, diesel, and natural gas, all that stuff. So what happens is when they import the the marketers import the um, pro the refined products here, and then the government pays a subsidy to them. So the government pays more than half of um, the cost. So th that's pretty much how it works. So we have this scam going on here, where marketers just bringing documents and say we 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 brought in maybe a million liters of petrol, and they didn't bring in anything, and they just get the subsidy payments. So every president knows, everyone, it's not a secret, you know. I'm sure some of some Nigerian listeners are going to be mad at me for saying this and because that's how we are here. And um, they'll say I'm exposing the country. But everybody knows this, it's not hidden. There are articles about it. So every president comes in saying, I'm going to take out um, um, the subsidies to stop all that from happening. And then finally, um, uh, um, the new president came in um, in, in June and he, he was sworn in in June. And, First day, he um, canceled the subsidy. He announced that the, he was going to cancel um, the subsidy payments, and um, people are losing their minds. By the way, this this president is in no way a capitalist. He's a pure Keynesian through and through. You know, pure Keynesian. He has been. He's been. He's been in office since May, and the money supply is expanding like crazy. You know, so um, I'll get into that um, later. So he. he he, he he's in no way capitalist. So his his idea is to take away the money from fuel, um, they pay to subsidize fuel, and use that money to um, spend on education or some insert government intervention program of your choice. That's pretty much what um, um, he's advocating. The um, current president. So um, that's where we are at. Our fuel is very very expensive relative to um, should I say the minimum wage here relative to average. Um, wages here. Fuel is very, very expensive for um, for people now. The roads are empty. You don't have people going out um, as much as they used to. I see it. Um, so things are pretty much slowing down because people don't have um, fuel for their vehicles anymore. So people are complaining and saying the subsidies should be put um, um, should we should resume paying the subsidies and the president is saying no. So um, labor groups are um, protesting left, right and center. You know, so now our so the, this is where my writing comes in. Um, 
the our economists in this part of the um, in Nigeria are all suggesting that um, some are saying bring back the subsidies, others are saying um, use that money to invest in government public transport, trains, um, buses, pretty much just transferring the subsidies from um, one area to another. So in my writings, I've been pointing out how all those ideas of um, increasing the minimum wage, that's um, something that's been suggested, um, um, subsidizing transport, um, spending on education or whatever. So uh, basically I'm writing to explain how those interventionist policies, they might actually, they will actually end up being equal to or worse than the fuel subsidies. So I don't understand how people believe that um, there is corruption in, in fuel subsidies, but somehow in in the transport sector, there would, there, there would be no corruption. That makes no sense to me. I don't understand what it is about transportation or education that makes um, it's impervious to the same amount of corruption. Now, this is just on the issue of corruption. Let's not talk about things like crowding out and um, other negative consequences that come as a result of the government spending. You know, so I'm, I'm not even focusing on the fact that government spending on its own is bad. I'm just focusing on the fact that even if let's assume for the sake of argument that they could um, government spending wasn't bad. The, those areas they want to spend the money are not impervious to corruption. They are, they are absolutely not. So basically, I'm writing, pointing out that spending the money elsewhere is not um, the solution. And I advise that the government of Nigeria only needs to do three simple things. Number one, the most important, stop expanding the money supply. That needs to stop, but they keep expanding it. They keep um, um, expanding credits. And they just reduced, we, we call it the CRR here, the reserve ratio here. We were at um, 32%. So the government, um, the banks have to keep 32% of, 32.5% of deposits um, um, in the bank. So they can only expand um, credit by like 60 something, 67.5% um, or so. But now they've reduced it, I believe, to 10%. So they can, the money multiplies like one over 10 if I'm not mistaken, I can't remember what the equation is. Well, basically, credit is expanding, and I'm beginning to see signs that um, I'm beginning to see signs of credit expansion. Most of the abandoned housing projects. Um, by the way, Mrs. Um, Ludwig von Mises is, was a genius because he, um, he pointed out that one of the places where you um, start to see um, and the effect of credit expansion is in the housing sector, and it's, the same thing is happening here right now. So. I've noticed housing projects that were abandoned, they've started to work on them again, right? And I'm pointing out this is dangerous. This is dangerous. This credit expansion is going to cause um, 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 malinvestments. You know, things are going to go bad in the long run, maybe not so long in the future. And everyone is calling me crazy that um, can't I see businesses moving and things are beginning to pick up. And I'm like, okay, we'll wait and see um, how um, things um and play out. So basically, I, 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 I counsel in my writing, I on Twitter, anyone I talk to, I tell them, stop expanding money and credit. That needs to stop. Prices are already unbelievably, unbelievably high for us here. So stop expanding um, the money supply. That has to be the first step. Then second, cut taxes. 
cut taxes, make Nigeria the cheapest place in the world for people to want to invest in refining petroleum. Why don't we have refineries working here? Because the government, we have corporate income, a corporate income tax rate of 30%. We have a personal income tax rate of 24%. And so many other taxes. There are about 200 taxes um, businesses have to pay in the country. It's, it's ridiculous. So make Nigeria the cheapest place in the world for people to want to refine fuel by cutting taxes and useless regulation. Regulation is another story here. So cut all those things. Make Nigeria attractive for people to want to build refineries here. And I've also recommended that we pull out of OPEC. OPEC is a thorn in the side of everybody in the world. So I've been trying to make the argument recently that fuel price and um, crude prices is artificially high because of the green agenda. Um, I heard President Joe Biden say um, no more drilling on federal land, you know, whatever. I don't know why, but because of the whole green push, we're not producing, the, the world isn't producing as much oil as it's supposed to. And then here in Nigeria, we have, um, because we're under OPEC, we have quotas. We are not allowed to produce, I think, more than 1.8 million barrels a day, even though we have the capacity to do way more than that. So oil prices are artificially high. If the supply increases, then the the um, price, the oil prices will drop. And because everyone is saying, even if um, because everyone is saying, even if we cut taxes and do all that stuff, the um, price of refined petroleum will not reduce because of the cost of crude. So I'm saying, why do we have to be a part of OPEC? Why do we have to produce oil at 1.8 million barrels a day? Why can't we produce 6 million barrels a day? Why can't we do that? Why can't we flood the market and cause the prices to drop so that as, oil, as crude oil prices drop, then crude oil is the raw material for making refined petroleum product, then we get... Um, you know, basically leave OPEC, right? Cut taxes, cut regulation, and stop printing money. It's it's not difficult. You don't have to spend money to do any of these things I've said. And if I believe if we do that, so currently um, a liter of oil here, um, a liter of oil here is um, 617 Naira, which is nothing compared to what you guys pay that's more expensive. But you guys have higher standards of living, higher wages and all that. So um, six, 617 naira per liter here is a very big deal for people. A very I can't remember the last time I filled up the tank of my car. You know, I, I, I can't remember. I haven't filled up the tank of my car in a long time. And I'm not the only one. You know, it's pretty much only rich people, super rich people who can fill up um, the, the tanks of their cars. So basically, this is what I'm sorry I'm talking too fast. No, you're, so you're doing fine. Yeah, I find you easy enough to understand. I certainly have questions, uh, though, about some of these details about the situation in Nigeria. I mean, we ran an article recently which had emphasized the fact that most Americans don't realize, which is that in most of the world, the oil resources are owned and drilled and essentially controlled by a government corporation. Is that the situation in Nigeria also? There aren't really private oil companies? No, no, no. Um, we, we have Shell here. I, I I believe Shell is global. We have Total. We have Texaco, some of the big um, companies all over the world. But they're all controlled by the government's, um, and it's called the NNPC, the Nigerian National um, Petroleum Corporation. So they are the monopoly here. They determine who does what, you know. So there is no private ownership of anything here. So the best, at best, we have a very weird 
crony capitalists, corporatists um, set up here, but it's pretty much run by the government. And, and I see that the current president of Nigeria used to be uh, an executive with Mobile Oil in Nigeria, oh, which is an interesting I connection. Know, <laughs> I didn't even know that. But I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Yeah, the, I think the United States is nearly unique in terms of private ownership of below-ground resources. Uh, there's probably some other countries where that is the case, but heavy, heavy dose of government sector in all of that. And Nigeria also has natural gas, right? Because I just noticed this was, I just learned just the other day that there's an important pipeline that goes from Nigeria, southern Nigeria, up through Niger, which is now suddenly in a, <laughs> a country in the news, um, and takes natural gas to Europe through across the Mediterranean. Um, so I assume there is there is that subsidized locally as well, or is uh, is this a more normal export for Nigeria? Is there any? I mean, is is money coming in through natural gas sales, or is that just a complete basket case also? I don't know the details of the um, gas, um, natural gas um, sector, I, so I can't really speak um, to that. However, this is Nigeria. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's some funny business going on there. Sure, sure. The well, this brings me to the question then of uh, I liked your comments on the money supply expansion. Uh, so, what is the motivation for expanding the money supply now in? Latin America, it imploded from hyperinflation in the 80s. Uh, and a lot of that was motivated just simply by these countries were running huge deficits, their governments were, and so they were basically just printing money to expand government spending so they could hand out free money uh, to various cronies and the population at large and so on. But they're also, I mean, if you're a Keynesian, you might also believe expanding the money supply actually improves the economy in many cases. So what is what is the motivation in Nigeria for that? Is it is it just so that the, the regime will have more money, so they're basically printing it? Or is it because they believe that they can expand the economy by expanding the money supply? Or maybe it's just both. And it, exactly. It's, it's both. Yeah, it's both. So um, our economists tell them when the economy is slowing down, what we need is more spending. So um, how do we spend, print the money and spend it? So, um, and the government is all too happy to do that, right? Because when they start um, giving out free cash, um, people are happy about that stuff. So, you know, it's win-win for them. And then at the end of the day, we all suffer the consequences. So it's it's a combination of them both. So I'm guessing that like the U.S., in spite of all of these taxes, they're still running a substantial deficit at the national level? Yes, 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 yes. They, I sometimes find it's helpful to remind our audience that other countries aren't spectacularly well run because what happens is people always are, they know the details of just how awful their own governments are. And I think they often assume that other governments are better run. And uh, that's, that. <laughs> I find that's usually not a good assumption. No, it's not. It's not. Right. And it's the not. result, I, and I things are that, just as bad here. When I see that the result right now is that Nigeria's inflation rate is over 20 percent um, is, is looking at uh, I saw a report from July that it's at a 17 and a half year high 
And so clearly the consequences of some of these government policies, you know, by the new president is, is directly con responding or that has the consequences that, that you would expect is that inflation is running hot, even relative to, to some of the recent years. Um, so first of all, I don't believe the government statistics here. Um, I, 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 I've, I've, maybe I shouldn't be saying this, but I've tried to go to the central bank and the um, statistics bureau here to get information. And I've seen the way those people operate. There is no way those um, statistics are real. <laughs> Let me just leave it at that. But apart from that, um, Marie Rothbard once um, spoke about how the CPI is a fraudulent um, measure of inflation, right, of measuring the price level. And um, he said, he said, so if I remember clearly, um, properly, it was a video I was watching and he spoke about how um, different people have different levels of inflation, right? So the 21% is not, um, my, my personal inflation is not 21%, it's way over 200%. Everything I used to buy is, everything I, I, I used to buy is like two times more expensive, two, three times more expensive. So um, so let's take fuel, right? Um, fuel was, um, fuel was um, was about 200 naira per liter a couple of months ago, and it's um, 617 now. So that's like um, three times um, what it was just a couple of months ago, right? So this has to do with the removal of the subsidy and not with um, expansion of money. But I'm just saying, um, if if you if you are going to calculate um, inflation, you should put things like fuel and food into you should put them into um, consideration i don't know how they came up with that 21 percent, but personally my inflation is certainly more than that the things i pay for have doubled and in some cases tripled um, in price and it's not like i'm out buying um bugattis or something right i'm paying for regular things that everyone and um, buys so i maybe in so so again let me let me let me be let me be fair um Nigeria is in uh, I think we are, we we have the highest level of extreme poverty in the world right now so we have um I think over 100 million people living in extreme poverty right now so um so for those people who live on who live off the land maybe they just farm um corn cassava um carbohydrates basically and they eat what they farm for those people, maybe they've experienced a twenty percent or a twenty-one percent increase in the prices, um, and those people are actually the majority of the people in the country. But for those of us who live in the major cities, um, the educated population, and I, 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 I don't, I don't say this to be condescending um, to those who are not who are uneducated. It's just I'm just stating facts here. I have to be careful with my words because my people are really weird. You know, they take offense. Um, one of the reasons why I, for now I'm, I, I've chosen not to make my identity public because um, people are really weird here. They can come after you, you know. So um, when I'm big enough to protect myself, then I can, you know, tell everyone who I am and all that. I, I, I don't really care for myself. I care for people around me. Anyway, moving on from that. So, um, but for people who live in the cities, I, I don't believe that 21% is real. I don't I don't believe it. So um yeah. It's okay, it's the, way the, higher. The, the the central bank of Nigeria is saying that oh well compared to other African countries, things in Nigeria aren't too bad. So at least you can have that reassurance right there. 
<laughs> the the absence of a massive civil war is always a uh, good thing, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're rich. But yeah, of course, it's easy to avoid uh, CPI inflation if, if you're just living off the land and your standard of living super low. I mean, yeah, but then your standard of living super low. So yes, if you're if you act to actually purchase uh, goods that require labor, someone else's labor, and uh, in a variety of steps through the manufacturing process, that's where a lot of those extra costs come in. So, yeah, it would make total sense that the the more urban you are, that the, the higher prices you're going to pay. Yeah. So um, there's something that I, my first ever article I posted on Substack um, was about how the central bank is um, is responsible for the decline in product quality. That's a very big problem here. Every product is um, declining in quality, quantity and, and, and quality. Every Everything tastes like garbage. Everything tastes like garbage. E everything um, produced, you know, I'm, I'm, everything manufactured tastes like garbage. Biscuits don't taste as good as they used to taste. Um, they, 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 everything tastes bad. I, I'm, I'm not, so I, I'm, I'm a foodie. That's, I, I, I love to eat and cook. So, um, everything, everything tastes, everything tastes horrible. You know, it's not just that. So um, in order for businesses to stay afloat, um, they are starting to cut quality, you know? So it, it's, it's not just um, reduction in price, um, increase in prices. It's also reduction in quantity and in quality, you know? As I said, I'm a foodie, so I notice I notice these things. Everything, everything is is bad. Well, here we call that shrinkflation, where you had a right candy bar that was 14 ounces uh, last year is now 12 ounces, but it's the same price. Or one example I saw recently, though, you like this, where. <laughs> <laughs> it was the exact same size candy bar, but they stuck uh, they stuck a a, a big uh, sign on it. It was a big uh, you know like a starburst label that said now bigger size. So they just tried to fool you into thinking it was a bigger size, but the size hadn't changed at all. So, and uh, so the price went up. We have that here too. <laughs> So, yeah. Since you did such a good job of of sort of understanding that the kind of the secondary consequences of the inflation problems, what has been your your feedback with you know talking to other Nigerians about it? What 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 um, you know, what, what was the sort of response that you got talking about the secondary consequences of what the central bank is doing of you know these various forms of government government intervention? Is there is there something that particularly resonates with your fellow Nigerians? Where you know they they can feel that experience, they they realize that the quality of the food that's manufactured is worse off. Are, are they are they receptive to you bringing it back to these sort of core Austrian concepts? Yes, the people I've spoken to, uh, so different people respond to. Everybody's feeling the heat of um, higher prices, right? Everybody's feeling. So I don't need to sell that one too much. You know, I don't need to preach like my um, the seminar I hosted a couple of months in in, in June. Once I started to talk about high prices, everybody was like, yeah, next, next, everybody knows that already. So everybody feels that, but there are other um, cultural um, consequences that um, touch. So there's a lot of crime here now and um, kidnappings, uh, like the most it, 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 kidnapping is the most lucrative um, enterprise in Nigeria, in Nigeria. Now people get kidnapped and um, their families are made to pay money you know, ransom money and 
it, it's a thing now we didn't have that two three years ago but now every every month you know they're kidnap kidnapping girls in this school or people on or um, people are hijacking trains and kidnapping and, and it, it, they don't just kidnap people right the um, what some something happened last year um, and I shared this on a show with someone yesterday. Um, a, a train was going from Abuja, the, the capital city, to Kaduna, and um, um, a couple of um, militants hijacked the train. They, they, I don't know how they derailed the train. I don't know the details. And then they shot up the train and took a couple of people hostage. And a, a girl was on the train. She was shot and she was bleeding. A young girl, right? So she was tweeting. Um, she obviously she had gotten in touch with her family, but she was tweeting that um, the train just got hijacked and people were kidnapped. They didn't kidnap me; they thought I was dead. And um, the 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 those who support the government here were saying, calling her a bitch and saying, "Pardon my um, use of the word. I just have to say what they were saying." So calling her a bitch and saying you just got shot and you are tweeting at Nigerians, Nigerians are lying, you people, uh, you people just hate the government, that kind of stuff. And then the following morning, when the police actually went to the middle of nowhere where the train was um, derailed, they found her corpse. She was dead. You know, and then the government had young girl, I'm I'm older than this um girl was, you know. Um so we have that all the time. A, 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 a personal friend of mine a personal friend. So this is not something I heard on the news or I saw on Twitter. Um, her father was, her father is a minister of the gospel. He's a preacher, right? Like myself, I'm a preacher. I don't know if I've told you that, so that's what I do. Um, I'm a Christian preacher. That's um, part of the work I do. Um, so so um, her, her father went to um, traveled for some um, evangelism in another um, state and he was kidnapped and the family made him, they, they made the family pay um, a very huge ransom and after paying the money they still killed the man so that kind of thing is now this is someone i know it hits very close to home just literally like a stone throw away from my house and um, a man was kidnapped just a few weeks ago you know like five minutes before i passed the very same road in the, the on the road to my house literally a stone throw away from my house someone was kidnapped and they had to pay ransom and he was released so um so that's happening now and people are paying, um, uh, people are, are, are being kidnapped. It's it's a thing. It's a thing now. And then another very disgusting, very, very evil, vile um, consequence of the poverty that um, we're seeing in the country now. So in, in the 80s, I grew up in the late 80s and, and the 90s. So let me say the 90s. So we used to have a lot of movies about ritual killings. It's a thing here. Um, you, you go meet some witch doctor and then the witch doctor tells you if you bring the tongue of a virgin or the head of a virgin, um, you will get rich. You know, they do some voodoo sacrifice nonsense and then you make money. So it used to happen. I used to hear a lot. I used to hear it a lot when I was a kid. But somehow in the 2000s, all those things just disappeared. Nobody ever... We used to hear whispers, but it wasn't as prominent as it was um, when I was growing up. All of a sudden, 2001, when prices, when the inflation jumped, when prices jumped up, um, there was a very frightening resurgence of, of these ritual killings. And now in the age of social media, you have these people recording the heinous acts. There was one on the news. You can easily Google it. Perhaps the story would come up. And if you can't, I'll find it and send it to you. Um, 
a, 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 a young man was told by a witch doctor to bring his mother. And then he tried to kill his mother in the house. And she fought with him until she was badly injured. But she 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 put up a good fight. And his mother, his, his biological mother, not his stepmother, not some random woman who adopted him, his biological mother, he tried to kill her. And then she escaped and called the police. There was a story where, uh, again, on the news, where a where two, I think, 10-year-old boys um, killed a 14-year-old girl because some witch doctor told them um they, they so they will make money you have picked you have we have we've seen literal videos of young men you know from age maybe 16 to 30 to 40 you see them and please this is going to be very um disgusting you see them defecating on bread and eating it because some witch doctor told them to do it these things were where we, we we heard faint whispers of these things um as i said they, they were they had faded into obscurity right in in, in since we entered the new millennium it, all those things just faded away but since 2001 when the prices started that's when the inflation jumped to um, super high levels, right? T 2021 was when um, we, we experienced spikes um, in, in, in the price level. All of a sudden, these things started to happen again. People, so, so people are doing, money no longer has value. Before, if you have maybe 50,000 Naira, it will be enough for, to take care of you for a month. It's, it's not a large sum of money, but you could get by with 50,000 Naira. You can't get by with a hundred thousand naira today. You can't get by with two hundred thousand naira today unless you're living in the rural areas or any of them, you know. But to live a regular, a normal twenty-first century life, two hundred thousand naira is you can't live on on that um, amount anymore. And so people are going to extremes to to make money, you know, to acquire as much as they can. I I, I I'm tying this to. To, to government policy, to inflation, because it's, there's a direct correlation, and I know correlation isn't always causation. And I'm not saying that the, the um, increase in the money supply is the sole um, cause, there, because there are other places where you have prices rising, but you don't have these kinds of things. You have other kinds of crimes. But seeing as Nigeria is a society where we believe in um, voodoo nonsense, where we believe in, in superstitious rubbish, if you combine that kind of superstition with um, a useless currency, obviously things like this are bound to happen. Well, I think in any society, right, I mean, there's always going to be people at the margins, right? Even in the United States, there are people at the margins who are at the lower end of the income scale who, if there were actual economic opportunities in their part of the country, they would be living productive, normal lives. But since there's not opportunities, what you see is rampant suicide, drug abuse, serious social problems, divorce, domestic violence, all those sorts of issues which wouldn't be totally cured in, in the case of, uh, a, of more economic growth, but certainly are made worse by inflation and all of these factors. So it's not a joke when the government does things that impoverish people. I mean, there's real effects to this. It's not just, oh, I can't take a vacation this year. I mean, there are real issues. And maybe if you work in Washington, DC, or you're a rich uh, kleptocrat in Lagos or something, it's like, hey, what's the big deal, right? So we tax them another 5%. But for people who are living at the margins, it's 
even in a rich country, it can be it can have disastrous results. But you just don't see many people in the in the seats of power care about that very much. Wait, so, in, so speaking of seats, seats of power, but before before we head out, I'm I'm curious about um, the perspective of you know, how how is how is America viewed in Nigeria right now with all of the the foreign policy sort of turmoil. Um, I, I know Nigeria has relationships, you know, a lot of trading relations with the U.S. Um, there have also been some military cooperation with Russia in the past. I know the perspective of, you know, kind of kind of America's prestige has changed a great deal in a variety of, of African countries um, because of some of the cultural stuff. Um, so, so before we get out of here, I'm, I'm curious about your perspective. You know, how do Nigerians view America on so the global stage right now? Is it still kind of seen as you know, the line of opportunity, the romantic view, or is there a, a change in the way that America is perceived? Or, or or is do people just not care about that at all because of the domestic issues that you've you've so vividly outlined? Um, you know, how 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 is how how is America kind of perceived from from your lens um within this sort of global environment? Um people hate America here. No. There is growing resentment. And it's not all, it's not, it's not all based on the truth. Yes, America has done some horrible stuff, right? But most of the hatred for America is because of the nonsense portrayed by the left in America. So we see all the, um, all we get here is CNN and MSNBC. You know, we don't even get, I mean, I'm not a fan of Fox News, but we don't even get Fox News here. So Everything everyone hears about America is all the rubbish, all the filth coming out of CNN. So America is racist. Um, um, they're, they're shooting black people on the streets. America is a jungle where everyone has guns and are shooting themselves. All that ridiculous nonsense that um, CNN puts out. So the hatred that um, people have for America here um, is not, I mean, there are, there are good reasons to hate America, but um, we don't hate America for those reasons. We hate America for all the wrong reasons. Let me just put it that way. That, that that's how I I and that's how I see it. The people with whom I interact here, they hate America for the wrong reasons. Yeah, I hate America for the central bank. I love the people. <laughs> I love the level of freedom you guys have, but I hate the Federal Reserve. I hate U.S. foreign policy. You know. So yeah. But then again, America. America is. America is literally the only beacon of hope left in the world. There is a tiny um, light still in America. It's dying out, but it's still there compared to um, compared to Canada. Well, I th I think this is an important point, and I hear this even from people in middle-income countries. Uh, I'm thinking of people from Eastern Europe, um, but even if you talk. Uh, in frank terms with people or even from say france and germany and so on i mean they'll just straight up say right the united states is really the only country that has any that takes seriously that whole laissez-faire liberalism thing that free market thing because even though other countries might embrace certain amounts of market freedom for pragmatic reasons only in america is there this sense of well you can't tax people because it's immoral to do so 
And there's, there's a variety of things you can't do because the natural law, my natural rights say you can't do these things. And there's, there's this very heightened sense and defensiveness against government expansion, whereas the government is seen as something quite different. These are all remnants of 18th century liberalism, which I just don't think exist very, in very many other places on planet Earth at all. Uh, anymore, certainly not in Canada, not in Australia, which is why they were able to get away with such those harsh lockdowns and so on. So, yeah, I would agree. I think uh, in terms of, of principled classical liberalism, call it libertarianism, whatever you want, the United States is certainly the place where you get the most of it, even if it is in decline uh, right now. And yeah, I agree with you. I think most, I think many Americans are unaware of just how little of it there is in other countries. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, they they are not aware. We are not. People don't really know. Um, people don't really know how how um good things are in America compared to other parts of the world. Well, and certainly our ruling regime doesn't value any of that free market stuff. So you wouldn't hear any of that for, on MSNBC <laughs> or from Washington politicians, anyway. So it's a it's a minority position here. Yeah. Well, on that point, thank you so much, Econ Bro, for for sharing that perspective and, and hopefully giving some of us some things to think about. Um, your, your organization, Nigerian Liberty, I want you to know people can can reach to help at NigerianLiberty.com. So um, for Econ Bro and, and Ryan Macon, this is Tho Bishop. This has been Radio Rothbard. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next week.